Hey everyone, it's VM Campos, comic book fan. Welcome to another episode of the weekly VM Campos Comic Book Club. So I recently picked up some back issues from eBay. No, not this one. This one just came out. Just a little side thing here. Deep Space Nine is, of course, the best Star Trek series ever. Don't fight me on it. You've already lost. And it was cool to have a brand new comic book all about the Mirror Universe, Deep Space Nine. Long story short, I didn't love this issue. I felt it kind of squandered things. I don't know. I didn't fully love it. I'd give it a C plus. Again, I might do a, a deeper dive video on this later where I review the art and the plot and all the usual stuff that I do. But anyway, there's that comic. The main thrust of this video is to unbox a few eBay back issues I picked up. So let's start with the first one. So as usual, you need the right tool for the right task. And I've got my little letter opener right here. So let's get to it. First up, we've got The Art of Usagi Yojimbo number two from Radio Comics. Now, this is a relatively rare series. There were only two issues, I believe, maybe three. I'll put it up on the screen here. Published over by Radio Comics. I still don't know the full background history of how Usagi is at Radio Comics, because if you know the history of Usagi Yojimbo, you know that he debuted in Albedo number two, 1984, over at Thoughts and Images, Steve Galachi's Thoughts and Images comic publisher, then went over to Fantagraphics, where he was in various issues of Critters, then he had his own series for 38 issues, I believe, at Fantagraphics, then jumped over to Mirage Comics, the Ninja Turtles house, for 12 issues, and then jumped over to Dark Horse for 150, 70, 150 issues or so, 20 years, literally, and now at the most latest, he's over at IDW, celebrating two years there or something. And so somewhere along the line, we got the art of Usagi Yojimbo over at Radio Comics. And this is issue number two. Issue number one is big bucks at the moment. And why is that? Well, we just got the brand new Usagi Chronicles, Rabbit, Rabbit Warrior, whatever it's called. I haven't seen the series yet. But the brand new animated streaming series where people say, if you're a little kid, you'll love it. But if you're a little bit more of a grown-up that likes Usagi, you might not love it as much. It's kind of a juvenile show. No offense if you loved it, but it's different than what I was expecting. After all of these years of, when are we going to get a Gru movie? When are we going to get an Usagi series? Well, we got an Usagi series, but it wasn't exactly what we thought. And anyway, issue number two of this is also relatively rare. It doesn't come up on eBay as much. And if it does, it's at a price that might be a little bit unattainable. I, of course, am always trolling eBay, stocking the best deals. And as a buyer, eBay is amazing. Yes, as a seller, eBay might not be as good. But as a buyer, I do a lot of great business there. All right, patrons, because of your tremendous contribution to the channel, let's look inside for a bit. Oh yeah, this feels really close to mint. Now, obviously, a black cover is a tough book to get. There's the front, there's the back. The back definitely has a little bit more scuffing. That's a really cool, slightly more mannered style of art there. This is copyright 1997, so by 97. And on the front it says uh, January 98. So by this time, Usagi was definitely at Dark Horse. And so we have these various arts of that we got at Radio Comics. A really fun, I'm drawing the character. And there's Stan caricature. And so it's a sort of a behind the scenes of how he makes his art. And here's his studio right there, which I'm sure has changed over the last 30 years. We get these various stories. I think some of these were reprinted in other places because I, I, I'm pretty sure I've seen this sequence somewhere else. No, that's not Gen, because if it is, then he's dead. 
But um, oh yeah, this is actually uh, Lone Rabbit and Child uh, number three, which was back in Albedo number five, I guess. And then it's that classic Usagi right there. Oh, actually, this is just pieces of things because then we have this one story. This is also a reprint from something else like Gru number seven or something. Uh, so it's kind of a reprint of sorts. And that's that classic, super chibi, Nils Ground Thumper style of Usagi Ojimbo. Love that. Oh, that's amazing. I need to get that on an officially licensed t-shirt. Various other bits of art over here. Ooh, love all of that. Just a variety of early U Usagi art. This is more of the defined Usagi by... Phase one Usagi. Well, maybe phase two. Phase one is like the cuter style. Phase two is that style that lasted for several years. Then we get more of the svelte style. This is getting into the latest style. Uh, but there was this sort of, you can tell it in the head versus the more refined style of nowadays. This is perfect for the action figure style right here with dimensions and everything. There's Usagi's teacher. Those are some amazing plots in the beginning. Yeah, this is like perfect um, Usagi action figure styling. Ooh, I love this pencil sketch for that cover. So yeah, that's the art of Usagi interior, black and white. I, re I remember this one, San, San Diego Comic-Con. One of those years of San Diego Comic-Con, it is a uh, Frankenstein's monster meets Usagi Yojimbo. Uh, really cute, fun, young Usagi. Monkey merchants. Little story over here. Chibi style. Cute. Ooh, that's where he got his scar. There between the rocks, he turned to face the snarling pack of bandits. He made his stand. I wonder if he'll survive. And so, oh yeah, there we go. We got uh, Nelson Groundthumper and Hermie. Uh, this was um, Usagi version negative one, debuting on the first issue of Albedo and then having a few more um, issues throughout the years. But this was going to be, as I recall, we were going to have Nilsen as... Sakai's main character and he planned it to go on for like a thousand pages and then halfway through we would meet Usagi and move on to have Usagi as the main character. So fascinating stuff. Ooh, there's some more Nilsen and Hermie. So this is kind of some rare stuff. Usagi at the beach with the classic Hokusai um, tsunami wave right there. Oh yeah, that's some um, space Usagi stuff there pretty much. Also an homage to Wizards, the Ralph Bakshi animation. Great action, great posing. I think that's from when uh, issue like 100 or 99 or 101 or something when there was like an evil Usagi. Uh, it couldn't have been, this was 97, so maybe. Cool little star, Gen versus Usagi, watch out. Oh, we got Kitsune and uh, what's his name again? This really evil guy, I love him. And... Just some final reflections there. Oh, cool. So right here, it prints where do, where did each of these things come from? Yeah, designed for the Usagi action figure. So pause it yourself right there to see all of the details of what those various pages are. I really love it that they have these notes here at the end to not detract from the art. And then interior, we've just got some Usagi logo heads right there, which I always thought were very cute. And then the back. So yeah, that's a run through of Usagi Yojimbo number two. Let's go on to the next book. We've got a stylish green package. Perfect for Christmas time. Christmas in June. It does feel like Christmas because whenever I go through eBay, I often forget what I buy until it arrives. So it's like opening presents all over again. 
There's more of a bundle here. What did I get? Okay, Poison Elves, Hyena. This is uh, issue number one. Mature Readers this is from Sirius. Oh yeah, so I was browsing eBay and these covers stood out. They have this like cartoony style, somewhat realistic style, this goth style, horror comics. To be honest, I, I, I don't know too much about Poison Elves. I know it was this underground or creator-owned independent comic. The creator eventually passed on at some point. And I don't know if there's been many more Poison Elves books since his passing. And uh, so I wanted to get this just, you know, for a variety of reasons, including that I'm always looking for interesting comics, underground comics. I'm looking for covers that stand out, independent stuff, stuff from the 90s. And this art is, it's a bit Joseph Michael Linsner-esque. It's not Linsner, but if the interior art is as good as this, I think this is a great purchase. And this is the whole series, Hyena, one of the side stories. Actually, looking here, it says Lewis 04. So I guess this is way into the new millennium. I think the original creator died in the 90s, maybe? I'll put it up on the screen here. I, off the top of my head, I don't remember. So this is this is later on in the run. We get kind of vibes of Vampirella right here, pale skin, skimpy outfit, all of this like uh, <laughs> weird demonic stuff. We've got this little goblin that looks straight out of Magic the Gathering with a pack of dynamite. This one's holding some cool ninja gear. There's an elf over here with really cool ears. Another goblin thing with a mace. Then over here we're at some sort of seedy bar with demons. And look at this creepy guy over here in a Jack Skellington ripoff. Can I light your fire, baby? And then we got some dancing going on. We've got some guy, some skinhead trying to beat up death. I think you're gonna lose there, buddy. And then some Viking battling, some cowboy, some hellbilly, I would say. And then this one is, what is that? Is that, hell, is that Hellspont, Jim Lee's Hellspont, making a um, cameo over with Poison Elves? No, I doubt it. But anyway, this was Poison Elves, Hyena, number one through four from Sirius. All right, patrons, we might not look at every single issue. I don't want to fully spoil it, but we'll definitely look at issue number one, Poison Elves, Hyena. All right, interiors are in black and white. Suggested for mature readers, we see it right away. Let's see the creative team over here. Chapter one, written by and lettered by Keith Davidson, illustrated by Scott Lewis. Poison Elves created by Drew Hayes. Yeah, so there's Drew Hayes, September 2004, and Scott Lewis. I, I like this style. It's, it's a bit of a Joseph Michael Linsner. It's a bit of a Richard Moore style. That sort of realism, but still cartooniness. Now, I know that with a lot of these black and white books, you got to touch them as least as possible because the ink will rub off on your hands. Uh, so what do we have here? Well, somebody's happy. Hmm, she's so beautifully content. I wonder why does Hyena smile so? Perhaps for the still night. Perhaps for the warm bed. Perhaps for the whispers of witches long dead. Ooh, that rhymes. So, yeah, we got a lot of great uh, stylized art. There's some plots over here from previous issues, I suppose. They get you up to speed, close enough to the book. Lots of action, lots of story. And again, I don't really know too much about this particular series of Poison Elves. I don't know how much I've missed, probably a whole lot, by jumping directly into Hyenas, although... I'm enjoying the art so far. That's really fun. And this is a, a full contained in four issues. So we should get a complete story here when I sit down to fully read it. This should be pretty enjoyable. Panel layout. 
is pretty utilitarian. There's some creative shots here and there, this movement of this happens, that happens, and that happens. Uh, in addition to just a sort of standard panel layout, six panels is pretty funny right here. We have this shot here, and then suddenly this shot here, everyone got fried. So there's there's some really cool, like, sudden quick cuts of things. Oh no, main character, sorry, I don't know your name. Oh no, main character, you're done for. What will happen? Well, that was happened there, and then some other, there's Hellspont again. Again, it's not Hellspont, but that's who it reminds me of. And then we change to this other time period, so... I'm definitely missing a lot of the plot here, but as we browse it together, you can decide if this will be fascinating enough for you to continue. I'm Hyena. I don't do Helpless. Okay, that's the character, Hyena. Uh, essential graphic novels of Poison Elves from comictherapy.com. I didn't check if there was still around. They're over in Unadilla, New York. The whole Poison Elves universe. There's the back cover previewing the next issue, which is right there. So that was a little bit of that first issue. Don't want to spoil the rest. Tell me in the comments if you know anything about Poison Elves. Do you have any of those issues? Any of the original run and such? I'd love to hear about it. Tell me in the comments. Next up, we got another package. Got a very nice thank you. And then these pull tabs. Pro tip. For you, all your eBay sellers, simply doing this is so much better than just taping everything willy-nilly and sending it off. Because then with these little tabs that you just fold over a little bit, you can then open these so much easier. So all eBay sellers, please do this. Beautiful. Uh, we kind of also need that for the blue tape interior, too, I would... Uh, I would I would say. Oh yeah, here we go. We got the uh, we got the classic two issue story. Let me put it in the correct order. There it is. We got the classic two issue story that was part of that 1986 modernization of comic books. If you look back on the history of comics, we have, of course, The Dark Knight Returns, Watchmen. Those are often hailed as the beginning of the dark grim and gritty comics. Comics had oftentimes been very juvenile, with some flashes of brilliance throughout the years, and especially after, of course, the Comics Code Authority. Things started to change in the late 70s. We got more of the horror books and so forth. And 1986 is a big watershed event. We have also Crisis on Infinite Earths. It was really the year of DC, I would say, at that time. Yes, we had uh, the dark and grittiness of Daredevil. But these two issues in, in the two big Superman titles of the time really changed things, especially for Superman. This is Superman issue number 423 and Action Comics number 583. This is part one. This is part two. This is the historic last issue, a very special story by Alan Moore, Kurt Swan, and George Perez. Rest in peace, George. So this is basically modernizing these characters. There's some dark stuff that goes on in this issue here which then leads into this issue. Superman disappears. He's been gone for some amount of time. A plucky reporter in the future is trying to report whatever happened to the man of tomorrow. When we start things off over here, the rampage of Bizarro, the killing of Clark Kent, 
the Legion of Superheroes last salute. Yeah, some really dark violent stuff happens here. So people forget in that time of 85, 86 and so, yeah, we had Watchmen, we had The Dark Knight Returns, we also had the, the last Superman story. We also had, if you go back a little bit, we have Howard Chaikin with American Flag. It's a whole big interconnected tapestry of what happened in, that, in those mid-80s that really changed comics to what they are now, a little bit darker and grittier, especially for the next several years. And then here, goodbye Superman, we'll miss you. Just crypto. Now in this one we had Alan Moore continuing the story, Kurt Swan, classic Superman artist, and Kurt Schaffenberger. We have a very pensive Superman flying away. After this, Crisis on Infinite Earths would reboot the DC Universe. We'd get a brand new Superman number one. Well, first we got the miniseries, which is amazing. It's a reimagining in five issues of, five or six issues, reimagining of the uh, Superman mythology for the brand new generation, the 80s. And then began a brand new Superman series. So great historical note. I already had issue number one. I needed number two. This was a bundle, both newsstand editions. I said, I'll pick it up. I can't wait to reread these again. Last time I read it, both titles, I read it on Comixology. But of course, I want to read the original paper books because then you get the letters column, you get those amazing ads, and you get the tactile sensation of actually reading comics. Okay, patrons, let's look a little bit at this book. Just the first issue. Don't want to give away too much of the story. You want to want to read it on your own, of course. But we will see here that there was definitely a time when comics were pretty juvenile. And then they started to kind of grow up a little bit in the late 70s, definitely by the 80s, and of course in the 90s and beyond. And so here... We have a flashback story. Stuff is happening in the future. We've got a reporter coming to ask Lois Lane some questions about what happened to Superman. And then we go back to the past where we have here Bizarro just going on a rampage and he's actually killing people. He's not just doing shenanigans. He's killing people. And then we have, what is he doing? He's going to the blue kryptonite. So everything was always bizarre and opposite with Bizarro. And here he realizes if he wants to be the most perfect and perfect, if Superman lives, then he must die. And he commits suicide after going on one final rampage. He just poisons himself with the blue kryptonite. Uh, everything going dark. Hello, Superman. Hello. But after going on a rampage, what are, what are some other things going on? Well, how about these Superman toys that are going berserk and vaporizing people? And then what happens? They actually blast. They all come together and blast Clark Kent, which then reveals... Oh! Clark Kent is Superman. Well, after that murder and humiliation, what pops up from the box? Damn! Pete Ross dead, treated like a jack-in-the-box, his corpse taunting Superman. Well, he finds out who committed these crimes and stops him, but not before all of that mayhem and carnage. So things, again, are definitely darker than ever. Uh, here we have Lex Luthor going up to the, to the Arctic to find the last remnants of Brainiac. Um, that was all that was left of it on one of the final battles. But what happens? He's down but not out. He takes over Luthor. He uses his mimetic powers to just overtake his mind. That is, that is also horrific, just getting taken over by this robotic entity that is basically turning you into a zombie and making you do his bidding as you watch helplessly your own body taken over. We're going to go on to another plot over here. Kryptonite Man makes an appearance. That's always big trouble. We have Crypto and Supergirl. The Legion appears. They obviously come from the future. They know what's going to happen. They know the fate of Supergirl. They can't reveal anything, of course. 
here they are to present Superman with some award because something happens, but they can't really reveal anything and everyone's cagey about the future and they're like, hey, check you out later. So Superman is really feeling the weight of things. And then the two-part conclusion over at issue 583 on sale June 26th, 1986. And that again continues with a much more mature route that comics were going at that time. Even happy-go-lucky Superman got dark and gritty, culminating, of course, in Superman 75 when he is killed by Doomsday in a final apocalyptic battle in Metropolis. Where were you when you heard Superman died? Ah, the 90s. All right, let's look at the next books. Here's the final package. This is quite a big package. I know what that's like. Nice. We got Bram Stoker's Dracula from Tox Comics. Still sealed. All right, so this is amazing. Back in the 90s, after the multiple million seller successes of Todd McFarlane's Spider-Man, Rob Liefeld's X-Force, Jim Lee's X-Men, and of course the founding of Image Comics, everyone wanted to get in on this racket of comic books. They're going to make us all rich. So many publishers popped up. And I remember Topps Comics, yes, the people that would bring you trading cards, got into comics as well. And they were pretty short-lived. If it was five years that they were around, that'd be pretty impressive. They had a variety of titles. They focused on licensed products for a while. There was a, a Friday the 13th Jason Goes to Hell comic. There was Zorro comics. There were X-Files comics. And the X-Files comics are one of the few that lasted by the end of the decade. Most of them had failed. And by the end of the decade, when this company folded, there was basically only La uh, Lady Rawhide being published. You know, the bad girls craze of the 90s was happening then and the X-Files. And this little artifact is a licensed tie-in to Bram Stoker's Francis Ford Coppola's Dracula movie with Keanu Reeves, Gary Oldman et al. Suggested for mature readers. And what do we see here? We can tell the style, of course, even if you didn't see the signature. This is a Mike Mignola Hellboy cover and interior art, along with Roy Thomas, uh, writer. Now, Roy Thomas, for example, had worked at the Big Two, and here he's lured away to do some work over at Topps, this up-and-coming company. And again, the big image quake of 1992 resulted in a, in a change in the comics industry. Like, hey, come work for us. You'll get to keep your characters and stories. Uh, although this is, you know, this is funny because it's a public domain. Uh, Dracula, Bram Stoker's Dracula, is a public domain uh, work nowadays, but the Francis Ford Coppola Dracula is not. So anyway, because it was the 90s, we had gimmicks. This is polybagged, full-color collector's item issue. Of course, it has to tell you, buy these, you'll be rich on them someday. They're not going to be sold four at once in the future. With four exclusive tops cards and behind-the-scenes photos and interviews. So there we go. Ooh, nice. So we got the various cards. That was also the time of all, everyone had cards, and I loved them. That was another aspect that I loved of comics in the 90s. Were the, yeah, the gimmick covers and such, but also the cards. I love the Marvel cards. Those uh, Marvel Masterworks, that Joe Jusco stuff was just so beautiful. I loved it. So this one continues that with four cards. Issue number two. Number two of four, we got a poster, four cards, behind-the-scenes photos and interviews, just beautiful Mignola art. This is the number one reason to pick this up. Um, we got Mike Mignola doing a movie adaptation 
a big Hollywood movie adaptation. So, and then cards. So this is a reason to pick this up. And then just this grotesque one over here. The sickly colors, the symmetrical composition, the stark white on black candles, skulls and everything. Beautiful. Let's get this one out of the bag. Oh, that's interesting. This came from Sports Unlimited over at Portsmouth, Virginia. At some point, give him a call, say, and tell him VM Campos sent you. And this, and this back plate looks amazing. The black and white and red really stands out. And there's the various cards. Ooh, there's Gary Oldman looking cool as ever. And then issue number four. I can tell that these were bagged in the 90s and never opened up since because everything's kind of yellowed and brittle. And so this one's also polybagged. Amazing cover right here. A little bit busy, perhaps. But these reds and yellows really stand out. You get Mignola's style. And then the cards on the pack. Well, those are the three sisters, right? Oh, yeah, he was also in it. It looks like on the back here we have that same representation art-wise compared to the card. So I'll probably open these on an actual issue uh, on, an, on another episode of the series later on when I'll go through these individually. Tell me in the comments if you want me to open these 90s treasures up or just enjoy them polybagged forever. I think comics should be enjoyed. So we'll probably do an episode later on where I crack each of these and just marvel at some Mike Mignola art. And there we go. Those are the things that I picked up this week on this eBay haul. What did you like? What was interesting? What was surprising? What have you read before? What do you have in your collection? Tell me about it in the comments. This has been VM Campos, and I'll see you next time.